Hello there, listeners. If you've tuned in before, you know the drill. If not, welcome to the 963 Universal Frequency. I'm the host, Esther Clare, spreading awareness with an open heart, an open mind, living life and being free. I have an incredible and courageous guest for this episode of Secret History of the Catholic Church. Margaret Mary O'Connor is making an impact in the Buffalo United States Catholic Church community. And I thought it imperative to share Margaret's knowledge and experience to help unveil the truth, which I believe more and more people are choosing to speak out and bring about awareness to all the scandals throughout the world. And she is such a brave soul. She shares her stories of police and even the FBI trying to intimidate her. Even the issues of sexual abuse happening in the Catholic Church as well. And the truth about women in the Bible and the truth about Mary. So Mary, the mother of Jesus and who she was, how her story has been stripped away from everything that she represents. And so this is an important one, one that makes complete sense to me being somebody that grew up as a catholic and i i'll be honest with you i don't follow the catholic practice i mean i I take the parts that i think work well and i feel i'm connected with but i i don't follow it as well as what other people would and just hearing her side of the story and, and her her discovery, I I just felt as if I connected with it. I love her perspective. I love her point of view. I believe there are people that actually have known the truth about Mary and women in the Bible. But hearing Margaret's perspective and how she came about to find this, this information is an intriguing one. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I loved speaking to Margaret. It was just great energy between the two of us. And I uh, am looking forward to having another episode with her. I hope you enjoy and uh, yeah, catch you at the end. Connecting with me all the way in Buffalo, the United States, is Mary Margaret O'Connor. She has a Bachelor of Science degree in physical education, a Master's of Art in pastoral ministry, amongst many other accomplishments, which Margaret can elaborate on in this discussion. And what caught my fascination with you, Margaret, is your knowledge and mission on the issues of women's ordination and the church accountability of priest sexual abuse. And you wrote the book Scandal in the Shadows, which I'm looking forward to hearing all about. So to begin, could you please tell the listeners a little more about yourself and what led you to your discovery and mission? Oh, definitely. Well, thank you first for having me on your show, Esther. It's a pleasure. Um, I grew up in the Catholic Church and as a young girl, this would have been back in the 1950s, if there was one truth that any woman knew they were told that within our church history, there never were 
any woman uh, priest. So that was pretty much, it was very cut and dry. And uh, my brother received as a birthday gift a replica of a cardboard church altar from my mother. And I remember Paul was a priest and my twin sister Pat and I acted like the parishioners and everything was going fine till I decided I stood up. I said, Paul, I wanna play the role of the priest mm -hmm. and I'll never forget. He said, no, you're girls, you have to be a man. So I learned at a very young age that there was definitely a difference between what women could do within our church and obviously what the roles that men uh, could perform. And as I got older, uh, well, not that old, but in my 20s, I started hearing what I would consider rumors that there were women priests in our early church's history. Well, as I went on through life, uh, I guess the curiosity got the better of me. And I came across some wonderful books that all had to do with biblical research. And lo and behold, front and center were these religious roles that women held, priestly roles. And I'm just personally fascinated by history because I see it like a personal snapshot of whatever that history was at that time. And I think we can all relate going back, we've heard about the Titanic. And when National Geographic first had actual films of that, as we were going down into that awful darkness, it was like we were seeing a whole new world for the first time when those lights came on and just the allure of seeing that, like the spooky wreckage of the ship, but it took on a more personal nature when we actually saw the artifacts, whether it was a woman's comb, uh, a shoe, uh, gloves, and the silverware too, when you think that would have been used at their, obviously their last dinner. So let's take, it's not obviously the exact context of that, but how do we go back within our church history, particularly for the woman's religious roles, where do we find that uh, credibility? Obviously, we're not viewing them from a camera, but through biblical research, you look at the actual monuments, the inscriptions that were there. And that's where you find the pr proof for like the woman uh, priest, uh, deacons, bishops, and uh, as well, just the writings, the papyrus. And there again, it's bringing to light this hidden history that's really within the shadows of our church uh, history. Mm -hmm. So I find it very fascinating because I think as a woman within our church, we have been obviously very limited Mm -hmm. And here we have this new information. And I know for so many of the listeners out there, if you happen to be Catholic, uh, this information is going to be, well, shocking or it's going to be completely new, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it might take a while, you know, to get your, your mind around. But what I'm trying to say is this isn't conjecture. Anything that comes from biblical research is the truth because so many times um, 
uh, if I'm picketing like for woman's ordination, um, I will be confronted with the fact that, well, where is this, you know, within our Bible? And obviously there is nowhere. It's not in the Bible. It's within the new uh, biblical research. But beyond this fact of woman priests, bishops, deacons, apostles, there's a woman that is the most famous priest of all. <laughs> and I had a book. It was from um, <clears throat> John Winchgarts. He was a former Catholic priest. And he has a whole chapter there about Mary, mother of God. And that Mary herself was a priest, a woman priest. And I remember I had the book in my hand and I threw it up in the air. I was so excited. And I thought, wait a minute, I have to grab this book and reread that. Did I really see what I just saw? Mm. Uh, her title, uh, she was known as Mary Priest. And her title was the model for all priesthood in the Catholic Church. In other words, the priests would pray to Mary for their uh, success. And um, there's a lot of individuals that are listening might think, oh, come on. Okay, you're saying Mary is a priest. Well, is that maybe like an honorary title? Because obviously this is uh, Jesus's mother. When uh, at the conception of Jesus, Mary received that same blessing from the Holy Spirit that Jesus did. And Jesus himself was never ordained, but he had this blessing, and it's the same blessing that Mary had. So after Jesus, Mary is the high priest, that first priest. Mm -hmm. And anyway, it elaborated that she as well would like read the gospel, she would give out communion. And um, this John Winsgaard also was real explicit making this one fact she was a sacrificial priest. And that means she was presiding at the consecration. She was there. Um, and this is something, of course, which today any woman uh, cannot do. So the listeners out there might be wondering, okay, <laughs> uh, but besides uh, wrapping their minds around this uh, information, as a woman, uh, particularly within the Catholic Church, because, uh, you know, now, of course, there are other churches which do allow women to be priests, but within our church, they might be thinking, well, what does this really mean to me? Um, I've never seen a woman up on the altar. Uh, why would this be important that we have woman priests uh, mm -hmm. within our church? Well, they did a study and there are millennial women, it was in respect to them. They are leaving the church in large numbers because, um, you know, they are just tired of not being able to answer Jesus's call. So maybe that bit of information would, would get the attention of any mother or grandmother. To, to see the importance of, um, of these women having that call coming from Jesus and yet not being able to realistically within the Catholic Church 
not being able to do anything with that call. Mm -hmm. And it's just something that, let's face it, if you've never seen it before, it might seem something, it would be something very new, which it would, but it is not new history. Mm-hmm. It's a history which has been there, but unfortunately, um, we never knew about. Yeah. I've always felt that about Mary, just going back on to, because I went to a Catholic school, so primary school oh, and high school, and I was always skeptical, I must admit, and I'm, I still am to this day, so, but I'll get your thoughts on this. I, I always saw Mary as a priestess. I, I always saw her as someone that was privileged, not someone that came from, from poverty and that she was someone that they, I guess, cultivated might not be the right word, but she was definitely raised to be this high priestess and to give birth to Jesus Christ and, and raise him in the the ideology or the belief that they had back then. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I just, I just feel like that sounds a little more realistic for me. And I was always Mm -hmm. that type of person when I would read something from the Bible would go, no, maybe Jesus was a healer and he went around doing holistic practices and things like that. So that's sort of how, where I come from with, with all of that. But I, I definitely think that there was that era, that time where women were perceived higher than what they are recognized today as I just yeah it doesn't make any sense it just yeah doesn't click to me so hearing you say everything that you just have is for me very believable and I'm not too sure why women in the faith have been oppressed so why is that why has the church indoctrinated that oppression or lack of equality for women Yes, you have to go way, way back into the early centuries. And I always wondered wondered that too. Why is it that women are not equal with men? Because obviously we receive the exact same baptism as Mm -hmm. a baby boy does. We receive the same prayers, the anointing. And yet we know there's a line there after confirmation, you know, we can't go on. Way back in the early centuries, uh, John Winsgaard's brought this out. Rome, of course, had all the the money, the power, and they're the ones that started like a law system. And it was so pervasive, it spread like throughout that area. But unfortunately, within their law system, they treated women very demeaning, very inferior. And I'm... uh, specifically talking to their civil law system. So sounds like someone had their heart broken (laughs) out to get women. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. (laughs) No, that's funny because I mean, it, it was unreal. Not only that, it was their perverse views, but what happened was the Latin speaking theologians incorporated he john winsgaard said they shaped that civil law that was so demeaning against women and they brought it into the catholic church law and made it so if you had theologians obviously that were living in that culture that looked at woman in that way 
and then they're they're bringing they're making their own church laws well let's face it women already had 10 strikes against them mm. now it went beyond that okay so you have the theologians you have the canon lawyers and it went from the early centuries into the middle ages but the canon lawyers saw a woman, they were the ones that were at fault at everything. They were the temptress of, of the men, of the religious. They were the she-wolves. <laughs> they were like devils. They were the prostitutes. They were the harlots. Mm -hmm. They were the she-wolves. I mean, I could go on and on. But literally, um, anything and everything was literally thrown at woman. So women back from the early centuries were not only seen as being inferior, they were seen as being sinful. And with their menstruation, they were seen as being uncleanful. Mm. And this really was convenient for the men because they could use that as an excuse mm. or a fact rather that how can we have women up there on the altar if they're in such a state of uncleanliness, I mean, how can they be up there on the altar? So I know when you're shaking your head, there was this <laughs> one man and he's basically saying at the time of month, if a dog came across that woman's blood, he would go wild, he would go mad. If you had uh, like silver in your house, that would uh, change, your mirror would dim, um, if there was like a big electrical storm or something, if it hit the blood, then it would stop the storm. Oh, wow. Your crops <laughs> would wither. I mean, it just gets, but this is this, such a distorted, I mean, we can laugh, it is crazy, but it was just such a distorted view that women were everything and anything, you know, they were causing, they were just problems. Quite a few women, if not most women, feel shamed and, and gross when they menstruate. I mean, it's it's an annoying natural endowment to have, you know, headaches, pains, aches, you know, feeling weak, agitated, you know, your emotions are up and down. You know, women get commented on their emotions during this time. You know, oh, she's PMSing, stay clear, you know, or you yeah, it should be perceived as a beautiful thing because without it, we wouldn't be able to procreate. Even some cultures today, the ones I'm speaking of are in those third world countries where their, their traditions are still old school. And uh, I was in Nepal where there was a community out there, a very small one where females, when they menstruate, they're actually sent away from their home so away from their farm if they're on a farm because they well it is believed that if they are menstruating that they turn the milk off and that the crops go bad and they get mice infestation oh, wow. and so they're sent away and they're isolated and it's kind of perceived as if you have a female in your family it's it's kind of a curse which is kind of ironic at the same time because how do you have a family without a woman in it? I, I guess what I'm saying is I can see how those old traditions would influence the thoughts of generations to come. If you're a menstruating female, you're not permitted to enter certain mosques. I'm quite sure it's the sunny women who have a strict belief in that. 
So I'm not sure how prevalent that rule is, but, but menstruating females are excluded from fasting, which is understandable, but they're also excluded from praying during Ramadan. Again, I'm not sure how widespread that rule is in the Islamic religion as there seems to be different concepts all over the world with the practice of the Muslim beliefs. This explains so much. <laughs> it explains so much, Margaret. <laughs> Sorry, please continue. I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, no, that's interesting. Um, did you ever hear of the term churching? Churching? No. This, uh, this is an associated, uh, associated with what we were just talking about. Because the woman was unclean, if you had a baby boy, you had to wait 40 days before you could get back into church. And then um, the priest would have to bless you, you know, say prayers. But here's the kicker. If you had a baby girl, the time was doubled. Oh, punishment. I, 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 yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was like, woe unto you, you know, for having a girl. And uh, of course, uh, the woman carried, uh, you know, Eve's sin and uh, just uh, nonsense. And then the church fathers were incensed to think that Jesus had to come through that blood when he was born. They, I mean, they were just so uh, incensed. So you get, you get the idea that there is wild, crazy thoughts and <laughs> from way back and then going into the Middle Ages, some of the uh, church fathers and uh, um, canon lawyers started saying that women were never ordained, even though the Council of Chalcedon thought they were ordained. Um, and that was really the, the start of all this, that things started uh, to unravel. But um, Gary Macy had said that women, in fact, were definitely ordained and they had to, uh, you know, file certain things. They had to do it this way and the man the same way. It was the same thing for men that were ordained. And there were actually like roles listing of um, like male orders, woman orders, uh, you know, women that had these priestly positions. And, and these lists were made up not only by bishops, but by popes as well. Or you hear Pope, um, uh, this Pope Gelasius in 496 was incensed to, and he wrote letters to his bishops because women were up on the altar and they were imputed to be doing these roles that were only for the male sex. So in a way, the more that you hear like different complaints, that in itself is giving credence to the fact that woman held these positions because obviously you know a bishop wouldn't have to write uh or the pope wouldn't have to write bishops if you know women weren't priests or weren't doing things that they shouldn't be doing but uh it, it it's a long past history and it's very sordid but the long and the short of it is they were very creative and how they finally remove women from religious positions uh, we know when Jesus was alive, there was never canon law, church law, and the church fathers incorporated this new canon law with the caveat that 
woman could not be up on the altar. So that really was like a death blow because that just negated anything as far as their ministry, you know, ministering could go. So really, sorry to, to just go back. You say, so you're saying that after Jesus Christ, all of these laws came in. A canon law. Yeah, there was yeah. never any canon law when Jesus was alive. And then a canon law is really uh, church laws. And they uh, came up with this new law, and they said that woman could not be up on the altar. So that that just did it, you know. Have you ever doubted your religion or felt put off by your findings, all these scandals? You know what I mean, Margaret? It, it, it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's disturbing to say the least, but... Um, I love my faith and I obviously love Jesus Christ and Mary. It proves how much you really love it. (laughs) I'm not not going to leave, but on the other end, that scandal is there. And that's why I feel it's important that uh, any Catholic, uh, uh, any um, members of any faith denomination can, can discover this, this new wonderful truth. Uh, of the existence, you know, of women priests, deacons, bishops, uh, and apostles. How much of the Bible, you mentioned before, biblical text, but how much of the Bible can you say is accurate in your findings, in your research? Well, of course, the Bible, um, you know, has been, in a sense, written and rewritten by scribes over the centuries. Mm -hmm. And what that church wanted at that particular time uh, was included or it was, you know, obviously deleted. And then, of course, some of the translation had a change because um, depending on the language, like um, the language always was in Latin in the Catholic Church before the Latin was the Greek. And like when you think of it, Jesus didn't never spoke Latin, he spoke Greek. You know, he spoke uh, Aramaic. And um, so, I mean, I believe they, they transcribed as well, you know, as they could, but that's the true story that, you know, that there was Jesus Christ, obviously, and his mother, Mary, mm-hmm. and, and the apostles. But then um, you, you can't take, everything going way back to the stories yeah. <laughs> and I mean again I'm not really I guess the best person to ask answer that because I don't have like a doctorate mm-hmm. uh, you know in theology okay have you been to the Vatican no I haven't the reason I asked this is I was actually looking at some photos not long ago and it was uh Michelangelo's the 16 chapel and the Vatican where I noticed that many of the images, you can't actually tell who is a woman and who is a man because both appear so masculine. To spot a female, you'd really have to study the painting. And it's not to say that there wasn't any women in the paintings. I just didn't notice them. The only one that I noticed was Mary because 
she was very distinguished by her robe and and holding a baby. So either either women naturally had masculine features and body types, or perhaps they were intentionally painted that way so that the truth was hidden. And so I, I wondered what your thoughts were. Oh, that is very interesting. But uh, unfortunately, uh, there's so much that is is hidden. Like there's um, there's a mosaic from the sixth century somewhere in Croatia in a chapel and it's behind the main altar mm-hmm. and it's a mosaic and it has mary and of course we never hear of this story mary is actually blessing elizabeth and mary is dressed in her priestly uh like you know garb so uh, that is really exciting uh, over in rome in 1903 uh pope leo the 13th uh, received a painting of Mary and you know she was in a priestly attire and he was allowed to hang that painting of Mary. Now we jump ahead to 1913 and things are changing. It's no longer allowed to have a painting of Mary, Mary Priest. Then we move ahead to, when you think of like 1927 in 2000 years of our his, church history, that isn't, that's really recent for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary's title was completely removed. And what I found upsetting was there was a Roman official that was speaking to the newspaper man that ran a little article on this. And he's basically saying to him, well, isn't it well the way you handled that question. Isn't it good that this uh, issue be put to sleep? And in so many words, like no one would understand it. Mm. Well, we can understand it. You're referring to Mary like some type of an object and you want to put this issue to sleep, you know, that everyone forgets. And Jan uh, Vinsgaard even brought up what's going on? What? Why this specific year was Mary's title, you know, removed from her? Was it coincidence? And he brought up that lo and behold, the other faith denominations, women were starting to ask to become woman priests. So, I mean, I'm only surmising, but uh, what is it? Out of mind, out of sight, out of mind. Maybe that was the the reason for this move, but... I was just blown away because how could these men remove this title from Jesus's mother? Mm. I mean, to me, it just did. So this is something that you you just don't really have a theory about at this stage, but you know Uh, that something corrupts happened. I, I, I don't like it that, you know, that title was, Mary's title was taken away from her. And um, that's another thing I want any woman that's listening to realize Mary indeed was an actual woman priest. And it's so important that you remember that because who today would be in regards to talking about woman becoming priest, Mm -hmm. who would be a better model for any young girl? Oh, absolutely. Than to have Mary, mother of God. And it's, it's so sad when we look at our own religious heritage, 
we think of like, I happen to come from an Irish family and through the generations, maybe Sean was a priest, Brian was a bishop, and uh, Christopher maybe went on to be a cardinal, but it was like generation family after, you know, generation, they were just all, they went down the line. All right, well, let's go over here to the woman's <laughs> line. And of course, back then, we didn't know Mary was a woman priest. So there was Mary, and then there was just one apostle, Mary Magdala. Now, this is really, Esther, I, I found this fascinating, that Jesus sent out the 12 apostles, 12 male mm -hmm. apostles. We, we think of Mary Magdala as being one woman apostle. There was this uh, woman researcher, Ida Ramming, mm -hmm. and she came across this concept of apostleship. So what does that mean? That means anyone that's divinely and solemnly sent out either by a particular community or by the risen one himself. When you look now into this new biblical research beyond Mary Magdala, there's Nino, there's Susanna, there's the woman at the tomb, and there's other women that have, their names are escaping me right now. But in light of this new uh, concept of apostleship, this brings credence to the fact that there were beyond just the 12 male apostles that were women that were sent out. And when you think back on those roads, the road to Emmaus, you know, the, but what about all those roads where it just wasn't male apostles? There were women apostles out there. And getting back to Mary as a woman priest, Pope Paul had a quote, and it really brought Mary in, into context you know, so many times Mary uh, obviously is seen as a white woman and the pictures almost make her like a beauty queen. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Elizabeth Johnson had some really good books and they did research and she mentioned specifically over in the 17th century that she was always seen to be depicted that way or someone that was like rich and uh, lived in like a palace or whatever. But Pope Paul was saying how that actually Mary was a very common woman and, and lived among like the woman of her time. And uh, when you think of it, Jesus was in a community that was very poor. So you can almost like picture Mary out there having to lug the jugs of water to do that everyday physical work just to prepare uh, a meal. And she certainly could, you know, relate to the, the hardships, the, the everyday um, toil of life. And she did the same as being a woman priest. She was out there, she was out on those roads. And she in her own way was was doing her own uh, ministry. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I think, and no, I'm not saying unfortunately that it's not bad or good, but it, it's um, so many people today seem to have uh, a fear of an image of a woman uh, being a priest. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And um, some might think that in a sense, well, you're taking over Mary's uh, role as like the queen of the church. No, this is just a way for a woman to be able to answer their prayer from God. And uh, I really think it's time that we acknowledge the special, wonderful news. And, and not to look at it from the perspective of fear, but instead to look at it at the perspective of for any young woman in the church, this would be such a great model to attain to. Wow. <laughs> I'm blown, I'm blown away because I feel as if I've always known this because it just feels right. It feels as if it, it does. And it's it's about time that it it comes out. And um, I, I really want to try to to uh, to activate the laity to, to have this like a grassroots discussion. Mm. Like anyone that's listening today, if you know, you could share this with your immediate family, your friends, your workers, because I believe that's the only way that this truth will ever mm. really uh, come out. Spreading awareness, absolutely. Yeah. I was just going to say, how how, um, have you found a following? Have you found that people are, how are they taking this information? Unfortunately, uh, it is so, let me put this politely. It it is such new information for them that uh, they they find it very um, shocking. And um, unfortunately, so many people feel that if it's not from the Bible, well, then even though I'm speaking about biblical research, that's not the Bible. Mm. And the church has told them that there never were women priests. So of course, you know, when they see me out there, they they must think, where did this lady come from? What (laughs) planet? What universe? And I laugh myself because, you know, growing up as a young girl in the 50s, if someone would have told me, look at in 2022, you're going to be on podcast shows and you're (laughs) talking about Mary, mother of God is a woman priest. I would have thought they were crazy, Mm. but I take each picket experience really as a, a learning experience for them because there usually are a few individuals that will come up afterwards and it's wonderful. They start questioning me and Mm -hmm. then I give them the name of books and I I figure this is another way of spreading, um, you know, this new truth. Mm -hmm. So picketing would be the same as community outreach. So we do community outreach here if you're a volunteer and you're you're trying to spread awareness about an organization. So you go out into the streets or you, you go to a marketplace or a festival and you you pretty much have a stall and you start to talk about or get people oh, to sign petition. Is that similar to what you mean when uh, you say picketing? Oh, no, we are out um, every year. Uh, well, there used to be a seminary in East Aurora, New York, which is a, a suburb of, uh, out from Buffalo. And uh, in June, uh, each year, there would be candidates, you know, for the priesthood. And uh, I belong to Call to Action. And we have our signs there. Uh, Like I have a sign, bring back the actual history 
uh, of women priests, bishops, and deacons in our church, and different people have different signs, mm -hmm. but we pick it back and forth in front of the church. Okay. For and that that's where we are for like the woman priest issue. So it's not like you said where you would be somewhere where you you would it would obviously that would be ideal because you would have like a large number mm. uh, of people there. But we've never done anything like that. Okay. So how far can you go with this? Can you go to the Vatican? Do you write a, or do you have a petition? How, how do you get it into the system, into the teachings? How does it um, explode? Uh, well, <laughs> I have a petition uh, on my website, yourradicaltruth.com, and um, I have specific points there. And it's addressed like to uh, Pope Francis. And okay. one of the points is to bring back um, that uh, title to Mary, Mother of God, is Mary Priest. Okay. And, and to have a picture of Mary Priest, like in, in the churches too. You had mentioned women can be ordained. Here in Australia, I rarely, if not never, hear about this you know, within the Catholic Church and even in Christianity. But again, in saying this, yeah, I, I was raised as a Catholic. I don't practice the religion. So I feel perhaps maybe I, I don't know about it. It's just very new and perhaps it's still in its infancy. Are things progressing where you are? There's still a long way to go. There's been wonderful groups within the, uh, the Catholic Church that the Catholic Church, official Catholic Church, does not recognize Unfortunately, like we couldn't have in the back of our churches, we couldn't have literature like from a woman's ordination, um, woman Catholic priest, call to action, future church. Uh, so many of these groups started like back in the 70s. And there's one group, uh, a Catholic uh, woman priest. And you're probably thinking, what? Woman priest? Catholic woman priest? What did I miss? Um, there was a bishop that was on a boat in the Danube River. This would have been back in 2002. And it had to be secretive because obviously if Rome would find out who this bishop was, he ordained Catholic women that wanted to be either Catholic priests or Catholic bishops. And it had to be really secretive because he you know, would lose his uh, position. Mm -hmm. But what was wonderful, those women that were actually ordained by him to become Catholic bishops, there's a term in our church, uh, apostolic succession. And that means it goes all the way back to Peter. So when these Catholic women were ordained as bishops, that means now over in the United States, they as well can ordain other women to be Catholic bishops, Catholic priests. So you mm -hmm. keep this line of succession. So we do have women, and now there's about 250, and they're spread out like across the United States. They're spread out uh, in different parts of the world. And unfortunately, not in Buffalo, but, but mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it really gives you like a flavor or a view of what it could be like to have a uh, woman priest. And they will be in um, uh, other churches, like, uh, you know, churches maybe that uh, they can get that were maybe originally um, 
maybe even from other denominations, but they've made a, like a building, a church, mm-hmm. and they ha- would hold like a regular mass, the same mass, the Catholic mass, but it would just be that they would be officiating. You would actually see woman, a woman priest there. Okay. What are your thoughts on marriage? So women being in that position, able to be married, and even the same for male priests. What are your thoughts on that law, that that vow that they've taken? Oh, the celibacy vow. The celibacy, yeah. I'm asking this question because I feel as if this vow was implemented just to control people. That's how I've always seen it. You know, following guidelines for structure, I suppose is okay, but to inculcate or indoctrinate the teaching, the teaching behind the vow is control. Obviously, some rules and regulations are needed in society because there is so many people that don't come from an upbringing of emotional intelligence or awareness, or it takes a very long time for these attributes to to develop. I can't imagine during the time of Mary and Jesus that this law about celibacy and not being married was around. I don't see how priests, bishops, deacons, how they wouldn't be able to to marry. I mean, what's the harm? (laughs) Yeah, this all changed after Jesus died because, uh, you know, um, Peter was married. There were different apostles that were married. Uh, There were popes that were married. But the celibacy law itself was initiated because the popes, the church, didn't want this loss of land. Say um, one of their priests was married, and somehow if a woman could get that inheritance, well, obviously that money would be lost. It would be taken away from the church. So initially, that was brought on board to keep uh that money just within the church and that lost and then after that aspect then somewhere along the line it it, it came in more about that like uh, men couldn't be uh you know that with it men can't be married because then they can't have like women there that would be in that position maybe to so would it be fair to say that that might explain why there's so much sexual abuse in the Catholic faith? And I know it's, yeah. it's something very unnatural, and uh, but it's just it, it's just deplorable how it it's ravaged the church and and how it's anywhere in the church. It's it's in Europe. It's in the United States. It's everywhere. And that's a whole other aspect that um, we thought after all that ugliness came out, you know, in Boston. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, I can't think of that, the movie that came out on that. Spotlight? Yes, Spotlight. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the church was going to initiate these new rules. So then you were sort of thinking, oh, well, that's wonderful. We need some help here. Yeah. Uh, and obviously it, it that didn't help because it, um, 
I come from, you know, Buffalo, New York, and back in 2018, we just had like a list of only, say, 20 priests that were deviant. Then it went up in the 50s, then it went up in the 100. Um, we had a bishop that basically reinstated a priest that the last bishop removed. And like when a bishop removes someone, they have to uh, contact Rome. Mm -hmm. And so it's just not, it isn't something simple. And yet, miraculously, that, that same priest that was removed now is reinstated by this new bishop. And then that priest went back to his ways. So then the, the bishop was really creative how he was going to uh, you know, he moved him here, there, everywhere. What is he going to do? He writes a glowing letter to a cruise ship line. In other words, this priest morals are, you know, just everything is wonderful. And oh. to get him a job on a cruise ship, well, I mean, there's children there. Mm -hmm. And this was documented. This isn't make-believe on, on TV. They actually had like, you know, the emails in the seminary that I, uh, it was Christ the King Seminary, that is no longer in existence because of what was going on out there. You can only imagine. It was that bad that they had to close the seminary down. Wow. So, um, and you know, some Catholics are very um, upset that anyone dare like bring this into daylight and we were out picketing and on the issue of pre-sexual abuse and there would be women coming up to us you're the ones you're the ones that are like destroying the church what i said i said ma'am i said how are we we are standing out here to prevent children being raped by priests how are we destroying the church? Well, then she she walked away. Mm, that's how people respond when their integrity is crushed. And they know that it's the truth. So they have no other option but to walk away. It's a shame to have so many ignorant people in the world. It's kind of scary. If anything, you, Margaret, are bringing awareness to the harm against children and you're trying to fix the faults in the belief system. Well, I, I want to let uh, the listeners know also from the Catholic faith, um, there was a, uh, a law from Vatican II, and it explicitly says that the laity can speak out on matters of importance. So mm -hmm. if, if you want to speak out on a what you, you know, think of in regards to like the pre-sexual abuse. And again, picketing happened to be the, the mode we were using and we do not shout, shout. It is a real, it's a very quiet picket. We let our signs Speak. express what the issue is. Because mm -hmm. I know people hear picketing and they, you know, because <laughs> I know some picketing can get rough, but no. It's very quiet, you know, we're not there um, uh, to cause issues, but believe it or not, on St. Patrick's Day, I'll never forget it, 
there was just myself and one other man, Dan, and we were picketing in front of St. Joseph's Cathedral in Buffalo, New York uh, on the free sexual abuse issue. And this FBI man was hired by the diocese of Buffalo. And he comes over to speak to me and I knew who he was. And I thought, what is he up to? And he's all smiles. And out of the corner of my eyes, I can see five police cars pulling up right in front of the cathedral. And of course, I'm just standing a short distance away. Well, he gets done talking to me and turns around, have a nice day and goes into church. And then all of a sudden, there's a policeman on my left shoulder near my right shoulder. There's one standing in front of me. There's one behind me and the man behind me screaming, get across the street. Well, I was like, I was confused. So I turned around and I said, oh, have they changed the, the ordinance for picketing? And there was dead silence, but the younger, other, uh, a younger police officer said, ma'am, we're asking you nicely to go across the street now. Well, I didn't want to get arrested. So of course wow. I went across the street, but I, I still don't believe that that happened. We are trying to present the truth and, and the frosting on the cake, Esther, was as well across the street. They, the police officers immediately then got into, when we crossed over, got into their police cars and then pulled them up right across the street. So in a sense, then they were blocking the view of our signs. Uh, but wow. I, I guess I, I was getting upset because I thought if there's something happening out there where people really need the police, uh, what are you doing acting that way towards mm. two individuals that are not, again, we're not shouting, we're just holding no. our signs there. And I have to say, Margaret, you look small. You are petite and you have such a civil, genuine conviction in your voice. You do not appear intimidating at all. But the fact they, and I use air quotes of they had to get so many police and the FBI to move you across the street, just to move you across the street. So you, you can tell that you are impacting the community and it's terrifying them. And the fact that you're not frightened, if anything, it's making you stronger in your stance. Truth. I'm, you know, trying to present the truth and I, um, I remember I got on the other side and I said, gee, Dan, we must look awful menacing. <laughs> you know, Causing havoc up. on the streets, Margaret. Yes. <laughs> wow. Do you ever feel that, that way? Do you ever feel the, with the, that, that backlash that there might be that one person that might you know, have a go? Obviously, you've experienced some things, but do you ever, is that ever at the back of your mind? Uh, no, because I, I feel, again, Vatican II said I can speak out on important okay. issues, yeah. and I am presenting the truth, and in fact, the, the truth itself here is hidden, and again, nothing is going to change mm -hmm. until the everyday Catholic, the laity, 
can understand this truth. Now, back in 1976, again, which is very recent, uh, the Pope has his own uh, biblical pontifical commission. And they actually looked into the issue, the question of woman becoming Catholic priest. They explicitly said their findings, there is actually no biblical reason to prevent woman from being ordained in the Catholic church. Now that is 1976. Hmm. Hello, we're here. <laughs> what has happened? Nothing. And then uh, skip back to 1974. There was an international theological commission and they were looking into the study of woman deacons. So why did Pope Francis in 2016 have to convene a whole new study on woman deacons? But what they actually found back in 74 was, this was interesting, they took three of the oldest Greek um, studies on this and they all came to the same conclusion. Whether it was a man or a woman, they were on the altar, they were in the presence of uh, a bishop who laid hands on them, officiated over them in prayer, and then each received a stole around their neck and they each uh, received the chalice to drink from. The women were known as women uh, deaconesses. So there is no issue. Um, Pope Francis has mentioned about maybe starting a new theology for women. But if we go back, um, my contention is that theology is there in the early church history. So we know now we have women had woman deacons, we had woman priests, and the most famous, of course, Mary Mother. Uh, we had woman apostles. There was such a, a, a rich history of women in religious roles. And it's so sad today that that has been completely diminished. Mm -hmm. What happens is obviously if the church decides something isn't going to be there any longer, then it, it disappears because the scribes have no need to keep uh, presenting that narrative, mm -hmm. that story. And that's initially why, like uh, this whole thing with Mary and her title, that was, but again, you just wonder how, even if it was just a small article in the paper in Rome, how that got so hidden because I know uh, back in 1927, my, my mother, my grandmother, they knew nothing of that, you know, never heard anything about that. Mm -hmm. Say this all goes widespread and the Vatican has no choice other than to rewrite history again, air quotes again, uh, to include women as it should be. I envision havoc, a lot of confused people, not just in the Catholic belief, but it would impact all religions. And I imagine those extremists as well, including the, the power elites, the economy that has this control system because it's all connected. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, first, uh, there really has to be like a one oh, I'm not being smart, but like a 101 on woman priest original history. Mm-hmm. So that every Catholic woman, man, knows the actual history of what women did in their various roles, various uh, priestly positions. So that w- what's happening is, it yes, it's new because you've never seen it before, but it actually was within our church uh, history. Mm-hmm. And then again, for the woman in particular, um, the lectionary in our church as well needs to change because there's so many stories of women uh, in our church, which are never presented. They're there in the history, but you don't hear them. And let's face it, off of the lectionary readings is where the homilies come from. But if women could as well in that course, mm-hmm. you would have to uh, refamiliarize themselves with uh, oh, um, Kale, Lita, Martia, these were all women, you know, early woman uh, priests, mm-hmm. and, you know, go into their history so that they could be, I think, more comfortable if they realized that this was a real, in fact, a real truthful history. And then when you look at the awful priest shortage today, we, if any time, need woman priest. Mm-hmm. to try to shore up um, within their own dioceses of Buffalo. They did some study and they said um, within the next uh, 20 years or something, there's a, there's going to be a very small amount of priests. Because Why is that? Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, what happened? The church fathers back in the late 70s started doing studies they could see the number of men entering the priesthood was going down. So what did they do? Nothing. In the 80s, what did they do? Nothing. The 90s. Finally, what they did was they introduced a new communion service, which obviously would be uh, having a consecrated host, uh, giving them out, you know, saying, uh, doing some readings, saying prayers, which are not experiencing the actual liturgy of the Eucharist, the mass. This was their way to try to, to help, you know, with this awful priest shortage. But I know back in the 60s, there were a lot of priests that were so were thinking when Vatican II appeared on the scene, they were hoping that the celibacy issue would be turned around and that they would allow uh, priest to marry. So I know there were a lot of, of priests in the seminaries then that were starting to leave just from that issue alone. And so many people, unfortunately, they, they see Vatican II as this, <laughs> like this evil uh, monster because their uh, Latin mass disappeared. But if you go back and look at the mass that we have today, mm-hmm. it's the closest mass to what the early Christians experienced after Jesus died. 
And that language change went from Latin to English. But of course, if you think about it, you, you were never really, I, I think really there was a, a big mistake, a, a PR mistake or however you want to yeah. label it. <laughs> that when they introduced Vatican II, they, they really left out these important reasons we found from biblical research that the mass, that the, the way we're changing it now, again, is the closest to what it was for the first uh, Christians. And that Latin wasn't always Latin, you know, as I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. it was Greek. And things do have changed in the church, obviously very slowly, but uh, right now we are at a crisis because there are just too few priests. And woman being priest obviously would begin to quell this awful uh, priest shortage. Mm. And I'm not saying this because I'm a female, but I think there would be an improvement in the portrayal of priests if women thrived in the religion. It would change the outlook as well, give it a new, um, you know, a new or, or, or bring in some, some a new, new life. Yeah. You know, she got in the arm. Absolutely. Uh, she would get a whole new, uh, I think, context on the readings. Yeah. Context. Mm. You know, a particular reading, if you heard a woman uh, talk on that, you know. Yeah. But again, it would just be wonderful because then you would have uh, young girls out there realizing that when they got to a certain age and if they did receive a call from Jesus, that they could actually uh, uh, act on that just like any um, man does. And I think it's important also, there's five biblical reasons why um, we're told that women shouldn't be priests. And again, with the biblical research, it's been proven that these are cultural prejudice. Mm. They have, they're not, in fact, um, biblical in nature. That can be learned from uh, biblical research. And, and hopefully, the more that uh, people discuss this, and again, spreading that word right now, that's, that's of vital importance. Mm. And we have to hold Rome accountable in a sense. Can you imagine if everyone listening, any a Catholic, uh, even a, a husband, a brother that's discouraged how their mother or sisters, you know, feel is being treated, um, would send just a postcard to Rome asking them if the Pope's commission has said woman can be ordained in 1976, why isn't anything happening? Why aren't you allowing that? Mm. Because somehow we have to get Rome's attention yep. to see this as an issue of importance because unfortunately, Esther, it's just not on their radar. Sounds like they have other issues such as sexual abuse. And another thing, if they were to bring in women, how many would expose the truth about the abuse? Not saying that women don't have the ability to sexually abuse, but it is common in men. And let people get married. I might get some backlash for that, but 
I and I do think I I'm I don't read the Bible cover to cover, but I do go back to it every now and then if someone talks about something. And one of the things that really gets me is the the verse where it says um, God created man and woman in his image. So mm-hmm. it, it, I feel like it's all a big puzzle and no matter how much they want to try and take information out to confuse us, there's still these messages that are in there that tells us the truth. You know, you oh, don't. definitely. And mm. yet they argue that uh, going back to nature, well, did God really want women to be priests? And I thought, wait a minute, let's just forget all that. Because in a sense, if you look just alone mm-hmm. at the 1976 uh, proclamation that there's no reason why women can't be priests, the church has answered any objections. The church is saying there's no biblical reason. So why are we stuck going back to these antiquated arguments? That's my thought. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Absolutely. Are you exposing any more truths, Margaret? (laughs) What's in the pipeline for you? Well, I've written, I've written another book. And um, yes, so that, uh, that that looks at the the issue of communion. And uh, again, the the Catholic Church, it could be so wonderful, Mm -hmm. if in a sense, uh, they could, they could just get out of their own way. You know, uh, and really see woman as being equal. Mm-hmm. And again, that's that whole issue that we are baptized and yet our cup is half full. Mm-hmm. We reach that certain line. We're baptized. Uh, we receive Eucharist. We receive confirmation. And yet, no, you're not, you're not good enough. You can't uh, be a woman priest. Yeah. And I think the more that, again, you know, the truth gets out there. And, and we really need to have a, uh, an open conversation uh, to try to involve all Catholics, whether you're uh, someone might see me as progressive or maybe too <laughs> liberal or an extremist. More, uh, yeah, if you're more <laughs> conservative. But I think if the truth, if they could see the truth presented and Maybe then, uh, you know, obviously really ponder on this. And I was just on a show, Vestiges uh, uh, from After Dark, and there's, there's a bishop that was on there. And this was, like, it was a wonderful show. It was like a, a live show. And um, they allowed me on the first hour, and I was there two hours. And then there was um, a priest, Father Chris Yates from uh, uh, um Oh, he's from uh, Australia, I believe. He, but he was uh, more uh, conservative in nature. But the bishop that was actually the host of the show believes that the discernment of the Holy Spirit uh, is not really fully being uh, talked about, or the emphasis is not being put on that. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
I found that to be a very, you know, interesting point, especially from the perspective of uh, any woman uh, wanting to be uh, a priest, just as a man uh, receives from the spirit, their own discernment. Well, we do too, but where does that um, discernment take us? Yeah. Nowhere. How you were mentioning about celibacy and marriage. So it's a little bit of a backtrack, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on if you were to be a woman and as a priest, ordained as a priest, would you be allowed to have children? Well, if they are going to, let me skirt that issue. If they are going to actually bring back, which Pope Francis had mentioned Mm -hmm. about bringing back former married priest, well, then there should be no issue there. Okay. If you know, if you're a woman priest and you're you're obviously you're married and you have children, there again that and it, it it was something when Pope Francis was mentioning that, but there didn't seem to be any mention mm-hmm. <laughs> about women being priest. Because mm. yeah. that I feel as as well, a lot of women still I, I feel as if they, they want to have they get to that age where they want to have children and if they are religious if they do follow the catholic faith and they Mm -hmm. want to go down that path that would also deter them from actually going ahead with with that so yeah i just was wondering as to whether or not there would be some other law or broken or just all these laws doesn't make any sense um but yeah so i just i feel like that would be very important for for females to be able to have that option. We did mention before, which it could maybe prolong the conversation, but we were talking about sexual abuse and we had mentioned that it was in specific to children. I was wondering if there was any sexual abuse towards women as well. So in terms of say the nuns? Yes, there has. You don't hear it that often, Okay. Uh, but unfortunately there has been. And this this incident, uh, it was another incident when we were, uh, myself and this other man were picketing and there was a woman along with us and she herself had been uh, sexually abused by uh, a, a sister. Oh. And we were picketing at this one church and after this particular mass, uh, there was like a, another building, Kitty Corner across the street and everyone, you know, was going to go over there for some type of a reception. And there was caterers that we had seen when we were out there coming and going, you know, delivering. Well, they, they finished. And this one man came over and said to this woman, uh, well, uh, were you abused? And, and, you know, she said, yes. And uh, basically, uh, he said to her, well, that must have been the best sex you ever had what i was just repulsed and then the man proceeded to go across the street into the church i mean Mm. there are there there's just so many vile people out there that i mean i i don't have the words it was just sickening yeah i'm speechless at that that's disgusting That type of abhorrent behavior, you have to wonder what's driving that sinister response, right? These are the type of people that are feeding off the abuse of children. 
these are the people that need to be rid of. Oh, wow. And again, Margaret, the fact that you are standing strong in your faith is fascinating and inspiring. You're not discouraged by the negative aspect. You know, I, I graduated from a Catholic college and we heard the rumors. The altar boys would get picked on and I'm quite positive sexual abuse did not happen during my time in college because we were all close net the years above and the years below and it's all very family orientated I think we would have heard something about our priests or the nuns doing something but it was never like that and I also knew of a guy who was a year above us that was training to be a priest but then he got the urge to get married and have children and he was a stand-up guy he would have made a great priest he just wanted to get married and have kids and anyway the religious class that were well the religious class was compulsory we had to go to them obviously the, but the teachings never made a whole lot of sense when it came to the harsh punishments the laws and mainly the treatment or the representation of women or lack of women having intelligence i think in our church unfortunately you probably heard of it pray pay and obey and this started like in the 50s so it was probably way back beyond that and unfortunately um if you were catholic you knew that you weren't supposed to like question your pastor I mean, who were you? you? You know, that was like a, a specialty religion. And mm. uh, but until they started having parish councils, uh, it, it was just wonderful. Unfortunately, that like the priest, there was no one around to really see, you know, what was going on. And um, but this is just so uh, unfortunately that abuse has been so pervasive mm -hmm. and there's a, a book out now I can't remember it uh, it was an article that was written by an actual seminarian mm -hmm. and uh, this was in, in another part I think it was in the United States and uh, it basically goes back to the seminary unfortunately the formation there and what uh, disgusting that goes on amongst the priests that are in charge there and basically you do whatever you know even though it's not what you should be doing with the priest but uh or we're they're going to decide that you're not going to be able to move on um to become a priest so that was a whole other perspective that i really didn't understand and then i read that article and then unfortunately what's happened at our own seminary here that, used to have that's that's gone because of yeah. something like that happening there mm. needs to end i don't understand how something so evil can be allowed to continue in a place of of worship and a place where it's meant to be about love and and um i love what you're doing margaret and your book scandal Thank you. Scandal in the Shadows. Um, how can my listeners find you? How can they find your book? How can they help the cause, your mission? Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> at Amazon.com that you can, you know, buy my book. 
And my website is yourradicaltruth.com, yourradicaltruth.com. And I have uh, blog articles on there. And as well, I have uh, for uh, both of my books, I have a, a free chapter. Any advice or any words that you would like to to give my listeners in terms of everything today? Oh, I just would ask them if uh, they uh, really want to learn more about this issue. That I, I have uh, two addendums in the back of my book, and it really it, it goes into it from all angles, so that they can really read more uh, books or actual videos. And again, if they could please, uh, you know, get that word out. And if you'd like to look over the petition and, you know, you see something there that moves you, if you could sign that, because it is going to take every person, every member of the laity, literally, to mm. spread this wonderful news, you know, across the country and as well into um, Europe, Australia, Asia, Ireland. Uh, and we can do it. And we really can do it. I think if the woman understand that there was this lost history and, and what that would mean today uh, for not, not only their faith life, but in the, in the future for their daughters. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, you've definitely started a change. You've set off a new frequency and it's out there. And I'm, I'm happy to help you in your, your mission. And I hope your mission becomes many others' missions as well. And I think if there is this new change, that it's just going to impact the world in a in a better way. And things need to change, Margaret. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> well, I'd like well, to thank, thank you, you so for your much. time. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank oh, this you. was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. And and I also wanted to ask you: Have you ever thought about doing your own podcast? Oh no, I haven't. Because I, I I guess I'm not. To, to put it all together, you know, the technical okay. end of it. Oh, no, I, I think you'll be brilliant at it. I think oh, you'd be you. fantastic. Anyway, just a thought. <laughs> but thank you again. Thank you for your time. And I hope everything goes well for you in Buffalo, United States. Thank you. Take care. You too. Well, that ends the conversation that I had with Mary Margaret O'Connor. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And if you made it to the end, kudos to you. Thank you for tuning in. And I will leave the links in the episode description of how you can reach out to Margaret Mary O'Connor, how you can also obtain a copy of her book. And uh, please spread the word. Let it be known. Send this episode on to somebody that you might know in the Catholic or Christian belief. It's a kind of a good thing to um, have an open mind to the possibilities of this being truth. And for me, it's fitting. It absolutely makes sense. And um, there's just so much more that I think can be explored in this uh, world of um, women in priesthood. And just priests, deacons, bishops being able to marry and, um, and how it all changed after Jesus was uh, obviously causing havoc, was, was quite the rebel. And um, obviously people felt the need to, to rewrite the Bible. And um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learnt something new. Or perhaps maybe you just expanded some uh, 
awareness down another path. And just remember, people, be kind to one another. Have an open heart, have an open mind, live your life and be free. Thanks for tuning in.